Well, good morning. We're glad that you're joining us this morning, whether you're here in person or online, and however you found yourself here. If you're a longtime member, maybe you're a guest and someone brought you, or maybe you're just driving down 23 Mile and you saw a church because there's no buildings in the way anymore, right? <clears throat> it's something for us to praise God for. For those of you that don't know God, uh, in his working and, and causing us to have much patience, allowed us to have that property, and now the buildings are finally down and we can see what God has in store next for this congregation. Well, today we're going to be continuing on our series uh, called Worth It, and we're looking at this idea of, uh, of a journey. And, you know, really, in the Christmas season, aren't we all just kind of headed towards Christmas? We're, we're excited about it. It's something, I mean, if you didn't know, you only have six days, and I just tried yesterday. Amazon, you know, certain products you can get, you know, they're going to come the 28th or 29th, so you're going to want to take a look at that if you haven't already. But as you're headed towards uh, Christmas, or you're headed through this season, um, how many of you would say you have peace? As we travel through this season, this Christmas season, how many of you would say that you feel totally at peace right now? You're totally calm. Some of you, wow, I want to know what you're doing. The, how about the rest of us? Any, you know, are there a good majority of us that don't feel peaceful? The reality is that this season is, you know, marketed. It's, it should be the happiest season of the year. In, in the Christian faith, it should be something that brings us great joy and peace. But there's so many things that tend to get in the way. As, as we like fix our eyes on this idea of being happy and peaceful and having family together and presence, then all these other stressors get in the way. Be it things externally outside of us, even outside of our own homes that are going on in the world, uh, or things that are happening in our families, or just simply the to-do list that grows. I'll let you know, my, my wife even took a day off of work last week just to get Christmas stuff done, to get the wrapping done, because with three young kids at home, it's kind of difficult to do. But it made me think about this, this idea that as we journey through life, as we head towards peace or happiness, what we often find is that we're met with more difficulty in our search of peace. And let me tell you what I mean, because actually in this season, not only is Christmas coming up for me, but also my anniversary. Uh, Stephanie and I, we've been married 11 years, and uh, we're going to celebrate that on January 2nd. So, yeah, we're excited about that. <clears throat> and, you know, the, the wedding was wonderful. It was great. We were actually college students when we got married, so we, we took our exams, we went home, celebrated Christmas, got married, and went back to school. Uh, it was kind of an interesting season of life. But we also, of course, we took a honeymoon. So we're poor college students, living in Chicago at the time, and we took the majority of the gifts given to us at our wedding to put into this honeymoon. So we, we fixed our eyes on this honeymoon, this cruise we were going to take. It was going to depart out of Miami. It's going to be in the West Caribbean. We're going to go down as far as Honduras. We're, we're literally, when we looked at our options, we said, how close to the equator can we get? It is cold in Chicago, and we want to be warm. And so we, we took the majority of what we were gifted. We, we put it on this honeymoon, and we were excited. We had our eyes set on, we're going to go get tan, we're going to relax, we're going to enjoy our honeymoon. So the day came, you know, we packed our bags, we're excited, we're headed to, the, you know, to this airport in frosty Chicago, and we get there, you know, we, at that time, we didn't uh, have it on our phone, our boarding passes, so we went to go check our bags, and we go up there, and she types in our information. She lifts her eyes from the keyboard and lets us know that the flight that I had booked was for next week. Yeah. 
So we needed to get down to Miami. We had spent all this money. We were looking forward to this peace, but all of a sudden this giant difficulty got in the way because we're in Chicago and our cruise is leaving for Miami and yours truly, uh, not so detail-oriented, uh, somehow had booked our flight down to Miami after our cruise would have been over. Um, <laughs> luckily, in that case, uh, the person that was working with us was very gracious and, you know, through a little, some tears shed uh, and a little bit of an explanation, they were able to, you know, allow us to switch our tickets and to get down there. And actually, there's a couple of other little snafus that happened along the way, but we had a great time and it was a wonderful occasion that we could celebrate and have our honeymoon. But maybe you guys can relate. As you head towards things that are supposed to be peaceful, as you journey towards Christmas even this year, you get met with difficulty. You get hit by these curveballs that sometimes throw you off and you, you're looking for peace, you're looking for happiness, but along the way, you get thrown off. And so we're actually going to be looking at a journey that was taken, you know, more than 2,000 years ago. And so if you would, you can actually grab a Bible, a chair Bible that's in front of you if you're in the front row there underneath, or if you're following along online, you can grab a Bible from your house or opening up another tab. And we're going to be in the book of Luke in chapter 2, and uh, in our Bibles here, it's going to be on page 857. And also, uh, please note, if you don't have a Bible and you're here this morning, please take that Bible with you. That is our gift to you. We'd love to give away as many Bibles as possible and get God's Word into as many people's hands as possible. So in Luke 2, we're going to be working through a, a good number of verses here. And so we're going to jump in on verse 1. And verses 1 through 3 starts off this way. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. So, that, like, probably some familiar verses for many of us, but, like, we have to pause for a moment here and recognize this. This is not once upon a time. This is in those days. Luke is recording for us that this is a historical event, and he's actually giving us a bunch of material to back it up. He's saying, in those days, that there was a Caesar Augustus, a real leader. There was a real governor of Syria at that time. And if you look back, these are real historical figures that censuses actually took place at that time and that everyone had to, for whatever reason, go back to their own town to be registered. And you might have heard it before, but it's uh, worth repeating, is that why would they do this? Why would you have to go back to be registered? Well, there's really two reasons that Caesar would want to do that. He'd want to see how many fighting men does he have in his military? How many possible fighting men within his whole empire could he recruit to be in his army? But then more so, what we're really familiar with and what really gets to it is that they wanted to tax people. They wanted to get more revenue. They wanted to see, you know, how many people are really in the empire, how many people do I rule, and that's, let's have them go back to their hometown so we can tax them more and more. And the amazing thing about the Roman Empire at this time is you have to recognize, it, it is the biggest empire in the world, uh, that Caesar Augustus, actually that wasn't his name, his actually real name was Gaius Octavius, but he was given the name Caesar Augustus because he was in fact a fairly competent leader. Under his leadership, uh, the Roman Empire expanded to have over 50,000 miles of roads, uh, which made it very accessible to move from one place to the other. And he actually was given that name, Caesar Augustus, because he was called, then actually meant, the majestic one, the splendid one. And this began, actually, in the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire and the people actually treating their leader somewhat like a deity, uh, so which is kind of interesting. And so everyone goes, that, that included Joseph and Mary. So picking up in verse 4 and 5, it says, And Joseph, 
also went from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. So this is Mary who is pregnant with Jesus by the Holy Spirit, her betrothed, meaning that they're, they're engaged, they're not yet married. They're, they have to go on this journey because of this foreign power, this foreign government is telling them, you have to go because we want to tax you more. And here's just a simple image, but we don't know for sure, but there's two options. If you can see, there's this, this line here, this black line, would have been a little bit closer, uh, just to show you. They, they had to travel somewhere between 60 and 90 miles, depending on which journey they chose. They would have either gone the shorter route, which would have been unlikely, through Samaria, which would have been more difficulty, with more difficulty because of the mountains and hills, or they would have gone down by the Jordan and it would have taken them uh, further, and it would have taken them longer, but they, they would have taken them probably close to a week. At that time, people, if they were really moving, would move about 20 miles a day. But we recognize this, that Mary was great with child, that she was very pregnant as they were moving, and they had to travel most likely for an entire week all the way down to Bethlehem. What I find curious as well is that as they're traveling from Nazareth, that what we have to keep in mind is that while uh, Caesar Augustus is the one that ordered it, and that Quirinius was a part of it, and that, that there's Jewish officials as well that might have played a role, that God is the one behind the scenes, that th there's those in power are ruling at that time, but God is actually overruling. God, for whatever reason, chose, I want to choose a young couple. I want to choose Mary from Nazareth. I don't want to choose someone from Bethlehem. I want to actually have the emperor actually call for everyone to be registered, and they had to move on this journey for some reason, this difficult journey, and go actually even through the capital, through Jerusalem, which was one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire at that time, down to an obscure village of Bethlehem. And why would he have him do that? Why would the God of the universe say, okay, I, I could do whatever I want. I can have my son come into the world whenever I want and however I want, but I'm going to choose to do it in this way. Well, one of the reasons we recognize is actually because a prophecy needed to be fulfilled. 700 years before this all took place, the prophet Micah wrote these words that said, But you, Bethlehem Ephrath, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be a ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. That a ruler would come. This is speaking of Jesus, and what's so curious is that a ruler is going to come. He's going to be born, but he's actually old. He's from ancient times. This is speaking directly about Jesus, and that he needed to be born in Bethlehem, this obscure town. Even 700 years prior, Bethlehem is a, an obscure, small town. And God chooses to have his son born there. And so the time came, and while they were there, what I find interesting, it's, it's not the sitcom version. A lot of the sitcom versions of, the, you know, Mary and Joseph, like they get right into Bethlehem and then she immediately has a baby. We don't know that for sure. We just know that while they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and lied him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Again, the God of the universe, the God that has, knows every day, that knows every hair on your head, that could choose whatever way he wanted to bring his son into the world, to bring the Savior into the world, chose a young couple who were not yet married from Nazareth that he would have the emperor of Rome 
tell everybody they have to go be taxed. So they go to Bethlehem so that they go down here and God didn't even think to make a reservation. He didn't, get them, he didn't book them a hotel room. But rather, he goes and has them go into a stable, go into some place where animals live, and then, then the, the, the creator of the world, who is there when the world was, was, the foundation of the world was laid, actually existed outside of time and space. He was laid in a manger, which we oftentimes, and many of us, have those manger scenes that have a little wooden feeding trough, but it actually would have looked something like this. It's, this is a stone trough, hewn from stone, uh, either a feeding trough or a drinking trough for animals to drink out of. It, this is actually from Bethlehem, and they, they find these in that area, that that's what animals would eat out of. And so the Savior of the world, the Son of God, God himself coming in the flesh, comes to an obscure town, having traveled through great difficulty, to be laid where animals eat. It's really the humblest fashion possible. So for us, it has to raise a question. So Why? Why would Jesus intentionally come in such a humble way? Why would he come in, in, in a way that we would look at and go, well, that doesn't look majestic. That doesn't, he's not being exalted in any way. That doesn't show us all of his great power and his might. But rather, it shows us that he's coming in, in a humble way in humility. And what we recognize it is because when he came, he came to serve. When he came, he came for all people. He didn't choose to go and to be born into Jerusalem, to be born in a palace, to be born on a throne. He didn't choose to be born in Rome and then, you know, become the emperor of Rome and rule in a great and powerful way. But he chose to come in the form of flesh as a baby in the humblest way we could possibly imagine. And then even more than that, the very first audience that the Savior of the world has are shepherds. So in the same region, that same time, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Somewhere around Bethlehem, there's, there's tons of fields, and there's tons of sheep, and these shepherds are out there just doing their job. Some of them probably sleeping, some of them probably awake, watching their sheep by night. And then all of a sudden, God says, I'm going to go and tell these guys these guys who are really outcasts, who are the lowest of the low in society, and I'm going to tell them this great news. And so the angel of the Lord said to them, fear not, because oftentimes in Scripture we see that when you come into contact with an angel, it can be a scary thing. You're coming into contact with something holy, a holy messenger, so he starts off, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now they would recognize this term. They would recognize that there is a Savior. There is someone that has come to deliver them. They're in that region. They are under the same oppression from the Roman government. They're thinking to themselves that they're going to be delivered in that way. And the Christ, that, that term, the Christ, meaning the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one who was to come, that's who it is. It's not just some Savior. This is the one who has been promised. He's here now. He has been born, and I want you to behold him. Listen up. This is an interesting word, but I think it, it takes, uh, it, it's worth us looking at this word, behold, and what it actually means. So we're not, they're not to fear, but behold. Listen up. Ponder this. Look at this. Perceive what I am telling you. Or as one of my high school teachers would say, get the peanut butter out of your ears, 
listen up. I have a message for you. So you not only need to hear this, but you need to hear and see this and begin to perceive and think on it deeply. Listen to what I'm telling you, that there is good news for all people today, that the Savior has been born, and it is the promised one, the Messiah. And this is how you will know. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, and he'll be lying in a manger. Here's the Savior of the whole world. He's wrapped in cloths, and he's lying in some likely stone manger in some feeding trough. And then suddenly there was, with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, almost as they finished that, that initial message that this is such a magnificent, glorious message that it warranted having a heavenly army come around all those shepherds in that field. What a, what a majestic sight for all of them. And they were saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those whom God is pleased what a great message, that this message is for all people, and then in particular that all of us, the ones that are looking for peace still to this day, 2,000 years later, that say glory to God in the highest and on earth, that there is an opportunity for peace. You now can have peace among those with whom God is pleased, those that will receive God in his free gift, and his free offering of his son to us, we get to experience peace. But if you look at that term and you think about it, these shepherds are, they're being oppressed by another government. They are the lowest of the low. I mean, how much peace do you think they existed in their lives? And if we actually looked back and zoomed out a little bit, how much peace has actually ever existed here on earth? You know, actually, just a quick little search to tell you, in, in human history, less than 8% of human history has any sense of peace to it, meaning that over uh, 90% or 92% of the time, there is a war going on somewhere in the world throughout human history. Did you know that? There's some war taking place sometimes, somewhere, and that's in recorded history. And that's actually just the external and has to do with, you know, nations and governments and all that. But there hasn't been peace, actually, within own families. Actually, since the very day that Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, there was no longer peace between them. And they had their sons, Cain and Abel, and there wasn't peace between them. And even in your own household, in your own family, I know it to be true, there's not always peace in our own families. And there's not always peace even within ourselves. But here this angel comes and saying, there's an opportunity for you to now have peace. So the angel of the Lord went away from them into heaven. And the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. This is the correct response. They, they, it, we don't know for sure if they just left their sheep, but it's very likely they just left their sheep there in the field. Or maybe they found somebody else to find them, but it's likely that all the shepherds the shepherds, they went with haste, immediately dropping their job. In the, in the middle of their job, in the middle of their busyness, they, they didn't say, you know what, we heard this great news, let's wait till the morning. We'll, we'll just see, you know, we'll give it a little bit of time. No, these heavenly hosts have come, have shared this great message, and they went immediately, and they went with haste, and they knew what they were looking for. They were looking for a baby in a manger, And so it raises the question for us, is there something that you need to stop doing 
so that you can focus on Jesus. In this season, if you didn't raise your hand and say, I'm one of those people that's experiencing peace, and I'm included with you in that, are there things that I'm filling my time and my life with right now that are keeping me from experiencing peace because I'm not willing to come before God and to marvel and to perceive and to ponder on who he is and how he good he is and how marvelous this good news is, but rather I busy myself with a bunch of to-dos and tasks that need to get done. They have to get done before Christmas. And in doing so, I'm actually choking out my own opportunity to have peace. And are you the same as me? Are there things that we need to stop doing so that we can experience a greater sense of peace and that we can actually focus on Jesus because that's where peace is found? And all who heard it, so the shepherds go and they tell people, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds, they hear this good news, they, they, they see Jesus, they go and they see him, and then they begin to tell other people about him because that's the only response. But Mary begins to ponder in her heart this message. She's had a miraculous encounter with an angel, and then Joseph had a vision and a dream, and surely they talked about that. And now they hear from these shepherds, these obscure, dirty shepherds, the first audience that the new king, Jesus, has are telling them, we also had an amazing encounter with angels, not just an angel, but an army of angels glorifying God and telling us about this good news. And the mother of Jesus gets to hear these things and ponder them in her heart, not just to think about them, but actually let them go down into her heart. You know, what's amazing about this is I think about it, um, you know, if you think about all the different amazing things in this earth that we get to go see and that we get to go and behold and set our eyes on, among the top of that list would be the Grand Canyon. Do you know how long the average person, if they take a trip all the way to go see the Grand Canyon, do you know how long the average person looks at it? 17 minutes. How long have you this Christmas season beheld Jesus? How long have you perceived how great it is and how amazing of a gift it is? How long have you allowed that reality to sink down from your head into your heart. So this Christmas, how can that reality of Jesus move from your head to your heart? Because for many of us, even if you're not a Christian, you've heard probably this story that, that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And so you have some knowledge about it, but where does it actually sink down into your heart and you actually begin to grasp what really is unable to be grasped? How marvelous it is that the creator of the universe would come and orchestrate such a humble beginning for his son's earthly ministry here and allow that to give us peace. And then the shepherd's response, they're doing all the right things and Mary's doing the right thing. She's pondering it. They're seeing him. And then here's the other reality that's true for all of us and many of us have experienced, right? As we head towards Christmas or we head towards something that we're excited about or we're going to find peace in, the reality is you go back home. There's December 25th, but then there's December 26th. And then what are you going to do? You're going to return back to work. You're going to build up to all of this excitement and gathering as a family, and you're going to have some, you know, fun and hopefully a sense of peace, and it'll be a great time. But you're going to go back, just as the shepherds did. They didn't get to stay there with Jesus. They went back to their sheep. 
And they didn't go back to their sheep with their heads hung low and being like, well, that was cool, but now we got to watch these sheep again. But they went back and they returned glorifying and praising God for all they'd seen and heard as it had been told. And that is the response. That for us this Christmas season, if you're not experiencing joy, that you need to slow down. I need to slow down. We need to behold. We need to perceive how good God is. We need to be like Mary and ponder in our heart and let it sink down from our heads into our hearts and actually spend time with it. Spend more than 17 minutes thinking about how good it is that the Savior of the world would come as a baby. And then we get to, after letting that take hold of us, and that we get to embody that sense of peace in knowing that our Savior chose to come in such a humble way that all would be included in the possibility of having salvation. That it's not just for the elite, but it's for the lowly, which includes all of us. And that we get to return to whatever it is that we're going to do, and that we get to glorify and we get to praise God as we go forward. Because the reality is true that comes out of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. But now, in Christ Jesus... You, you and I who are once far off, we have been brought close, we've been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. That there there was no journey that we could have taken, that there was no distance that we could have gone, that there was no difficulty that we could have gone through to bring us one step or one inch closer to God. But he went the whole distance, that he journeyed to earth in the form of a baby, to be born in a dirty manger, to be born to a poor family in an obscure town, to come in the form of a servant. And more than that, that he journeyed to that manger, but he journeyed from that manger to minister as a man, living a perfect life and then journeying all the way to the cross, the cross that you and I deserved that he would go through the greatest amount of difficulty possible that he did not deserve in any way. But he did so that he might be able to die, bear the consequence of all of our sin, and that through his death and now his resurrection, that we can have peace with him, that peace with God is possible, and that there still will be unrest and there will not be peace in our external world. There still will be governments against governments. There's still going to be taxes. There's still going to be people in lowly positions. There will not be perfection here on this earth, and there might not even be peace within your own self unless it is that you're able to see this, that you've been brought close to God, and now you're able to have peace with him. So no matter what it is that you're journeying through or journeying to or journeying from, is that you can move forward with an overwhelming sense of peace, knowing that the creator of the universe, the God who knew you, the God that has ordained every one of your steps, loved you enough to send his son in the humblest fashion possible, that his son would be sacrificed for you, and that you may now have eternal life through him. That you, even more than that, now can even have a relationship with him here in the difficult journey that you live. And that we get to go forth and we get to praise God and glorify him as we continue to go forward. I'll actually close with this. I mean, the, the reality is that as we go forward and as we get to share, one of the simplest ways that we get to do that is that we can invite people to come. Come to this church. Be a part of this church. Get into God's word. And actually at the 
1045 service a little bit later, one of our students has done just that. I'm amazed by it. I'm blown away that our students have this invitation culture where they're inviting people to come into our student ministry and to hear God's word. And at the 1045 service, a student who has simply just been invited in, come to church with me on Wednesday night. Let's hear, you know, come to small group, be a part of this, we're going to worship, it's going to be great. A student who just began attending just a few weeks ago, just about a month ago, he's going to be baptized here at the 1045 service, and God's kingdom is going to grow because of that. Someone who was an enemy of God has now been brought close through the waters of baptism, that free gift, and Matt is going to be added to the number of us that is now called a, a son, a child of God through those waters. And I encourage all of us to do likewise to be like that student, Tim, who invited Matt to come. That we can move forward in this world with a sense of peace, with a sense of calm, knowing that no matter what's happening outside of us, that, you know what? God's got me. I'm good with God. And I want to share that peace with others. This isn't just for me, but I want to continue going forward, glorifying God, praising him, and actually making God's kingdom all the more bigger because of what he's done. And let me do that by the way that I live. Will you guys pray with me? Oh, Father God, we thank you for your word and for this reality. God, that you are willing to face more difficulty than any of us could imagine. That you would be willing to come into the world in such a humble fashion and that you'd be willing to bear the weight of all of our sin and the consequences of those and that you would take death from us even, God. That we might now have hope in you, and that we can have peace in you, God. Let us go from this place today knowing, God, that we can lay aside all the anxieties and stressors and worries and the things externally outside of us, God, that cause us so much pain and so much strife. And, God, that we can move close to you in this season. That we can look on your Son and look at and marvel at the way that you chose for him to come to us. God, let that be something that fills us with a sense of awe, fills us with a sense of peace, and that our proper response would be one of that, that would be glorifying you and praising you, God, so that others might come to the saving knowledge of your Son,